morning. So in 1975, there was a journalist named Dan Wooding, and uh, he got a call to his office in London, and um, he was asked to, to fly to India and interview a woman at her headquarters uh, in the missionary charity home in central Calcutta. Uh, she had just become famous a few years earlier, um, whenever uh, the, uh, journal the British journalist Malcolm uh, Mudridge went to Calcutta to do a documentary for the BBC. Uh, this, of course, is Mother Teresa. And from 1931 to 1948, Mother Teresa taught at St. Mary's High School in Calcutta, uh, but suffering uh, in the poverty that she, she glimpsed outside of the walls uh, gave her such a deep impression that she had to, she had to do more. Um, so she didn't have any funds, and she started a school uh, for, for the children in the slum. And she was soon joined by voluntary helpers, and uh, she got more financing, which made it possible to extend the school. Um, so in October of 1950, uh, she got permission officially from the order to start the Missionaries of Charity, uh, which their primary job was to, to love and care for the people that nobody wanted to look after. So in 1965, uh, this society uh, was actually decreed by uh, Pope John Paul uh, VI. Uh, so uh, arriving, Dan Wooding was amazed uh, by all the poverty that he saw in Calcutta. And when he was finally ushered into the room where Mother Teresa was sitting, he said, Mother, how do you cope with the incredible poverty in India? And she said this. She said, Young man, the spiritual poverty of the Western world is much greater than the physical poverty of our people. As the fan word above them uh, trying to alleviate this unbearable heat, uh, she said, you in the West ha have millions of people who suffer such terrible loneliness and emptiness. They feel unloved, unwanted. These people are not hungry in the physical sense, but they are in another way. They know they need something more than money, yet they don't know what it is. Uh, the World Health Organization estimated that depression would occupy a growing share of the global burden of disease. Uh, in 2004, it was in third place, and it is estimated uh, by 2030 that uh, it will occupy the top spot in global disease burden. Uh, a, a journalist, another journalist, recently moved from the UK to the US, and the thing that she noticed the most upon her move the culture shock that shook her the most was Americans' pursuit of happiness. Uh, totally freaked her out. She said a few months in, she was desperate for adult conversation, so she was sliding up to anyone and everyone who would listen. Uh, moms at the playground, the dry cleaners, the man in front of her at the grocery line, and she would just interact with them, a, a range of, uh, a range of uh, discussions. But one thing that came up time and time again was the topic of happiness. Uh, she said, the conversations tended to fall into two broad categories, the agonizing kind and the evangelical kind. As a compulsive order, overthinker, uh, she said, the agonizing ones felt more familiar to her. Uh, these conversations were all about these types of questions. Am I with the right person? Am I following my passions? Am I doing what I love? What is my purpose in life? Am I happy as I should be? And she says, as a Brit raised on an armchair diet of cynicism, the evangelical style conversations were newer territory. And these people claim to have found the answers. 
They enthuse about their chosen paths to bliss, convinced at least temporarily that they have found the definitive thing that will pin down the happy ever after. Their answers range from the mundane to the mind-boggling. Yoga and meditation, keeping a gratitude journal, a weekend seminar on how to unleash the power of within, keeping your baby attached to your body for a minimum of 22 hours out of 24, and most baffling, not at least on a practical level, the drinking of wolf colostrum. <clears throat> a friend of mine, uh, she said that I met for coffee, livens up a rather dull conversation about what time uh, her husband gets home from work with the observation that it really doesn't matter one way, way or the other, as the most, person, the most important person in her life is Jesus. The University of California actually did a, a couple of studies measuring happiness. So in the first study, they took participants and they gave them a questionnaire and asked to rate how highly they valued happiness uh, as an explicit goal and then how happy they were in their lives. And surprisingly, the higher the respondents rated happiness uh, as a distinct personal ambition, the less happy they were with their lives and the more likely they were to experience symptoms of dissatisfaction and depression. Uh, this in itself doesn't prove, ca prove cause and effect. Um, after all, it makes sense that people who are unhappy would be likely to value their happiness more. So the researchers designed a second experiment to determine the effect that, the, that this happiness was going. So this time, they gave one group of people an article to read about the importance of happiness, and then afterward, they showed them a happy film. The second group of participants were shown the same film, but without the reading the article first. The group that had read about happiness and the importance of it afterward reported feeling less happy after watching the film than the group that didn't read how the article about how happiness is important. So the authors of these studies uh, concluded that paradoxically, the more people valued uh, and were encouraged to value happiness as a separate life goal, the less happy they were. I think it's safe to say that so much of our culture uh, is predicated on the pursuit of happiness. We look at commercials, uh, oftentimes the entire thrust of the commercial is about how to give Dwayne more happiness, right? It, it, you're, this product here, whatever it is, is going to offer you uh, happiness. It's, it's pretty unreal. So this morning, it brings us to our text of the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes, uh, Beatitude is just from the Latin word Beatitudo, uh, which is just, it just means statement of blessing. So you think Beatitudes, it's like, wh what does that mean? We don't really use that word, but we're kind of familiar because we go to church and things like that. So Beatitude is just a statement of blessing. It's an affirmation. Uh, but it may be a better way to understand uh, the word uh, blessing or the word that we know blessed in the Beatitudes is happy. And so I chose a, a translation of the Bible this morning that instead of saying blessed are, it just inserts happy are, which uh, happy, lucky, satisfied, those are all words that we can, we can think of uh, and plug into blessed. So Matthew 5, uh, starting in, in verse 1, uh, we'll read 1 through 12. So now when the, Jesus saw the crowds, he went up a mountain. He sat down with his disciples. He taught them, saying, Happy... Oh, I'm missing verse 2 in my reading. How does that happen? I'll read it from up here. I threw it up there. I missed it. What in the world? I'm going to have to bust out my phone for this. This is very unprofessional. It just says happy people. What does that even mean? How are... Happy people. But it, I don't even know what that is. Right, but isn't it missing something? 
Maybe it's just maybe it's just adding. You're probably right, Philip, because you kind of always are. Yeah, I guess I just added happy people. All right, well, I just wanted to make sure. Happy people, that's what we'll call this. All right, that's just the title of the sermon, Julie, so just mark that down for later. Happy people, all right? Uh, happy are people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who are hungry and thirst for righteousness because they will be fed until they are full. Happy are people who show mercy because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts because they will see God. Happy are people who make peace because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you because of me. Be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. In the same way people harass the prophets who came before you. The uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says, uh, you know, the Beatitudes are good news, not good advice. Um, and we, and then we live in this kind of tension of the Beatitudes are both descriptive and, and kind of prescriptive. They're both present and then future, you know, the, because they will be made glad, they will inherit the earth. Um, and it's interesting that, the, just on a side note, that Jesus, I always thought the Beatitudes were kind of this big pronouncement over everybody, but Jesus takes his disciples up the mountain. Right before this, they had healed a, a group of people, and then there were crowds that gathered, and then Jesus leaves the crowds to take his disciples up the mountain, and he teaches them. And in Matthew, this is the first time we've been in Matthew lately, uh, for Matthew, Jesus' teaching is incredibly important. Uh, this is how Jesus communicates his life and his ministry, by going around and teaching. So if you think of Matthew, a good way to think of Matthew's understanding of Jesus is Jesus as teacher. That's who Jesus is for Matthew. In Mark, Jesus would be Jesus as healer. But for Matthew, Jesus is a teacher. Um, and so he goes up the mountain. He teaches uh, what is the kingdom of God? What does God value? Uh, in this, the Beatitudes are what God values. Uh, we are to make peace. We are to show mercy. We are to desire meekness and not power. This is how God's reality on a fundamental level works. These uh, modern Beatitudes uh, were proposed by Pope Francis just a few months ago. Pope Francis said this, Blessed are those who remain faithful while enduring evils inflicted on them by others and forgive them, uh, forgive them for their heart. Blessed are those who look into the eyes of the abandoned and the marginalized and show them their closeness. Blessed are those who see God in every person and strive to make others also discover him. Blessed are those who protect and care for our common home. Blessed are those who renounce their own comfort in order to help others. Blessed are those who, who pray and work for full communion between Christians. Uh, you know the Beatitudes were read at the inauguration last week? Uh, which was then followed by maybe uh, the most obvious systematic implementation of the very opposite reality that Jesus was talking about here. All right? um, 
it's kind of like what Dylan read, you know, it'd be something like, you know, blessed are Americans first, blessed are the wealthy, blessed are the oil tycoons, happy are the powerful men, things like that. Um, Jesus' life is solely concerned with those considered outsiders. His life is solely considered uh, those who are outsiders, uh, those being threatened by the same institutional powers uh, in Jesus' life, both religious and governmental. Uh, in Luke 4, for instance, uh, he comes into the temple. It's his first, in, in the Gospel of Luke, this is his first action in ministry, and he declares in the synagogue that he's going to bring freedom for the poor, the imprisoned, the blind, but he's speaking to a Jew Jewish audience. At first, they really like what he's saying, and then all of a sudden he says, oh yeah, but I've come for not just you guys, I've come for the outsider as well. And they don't really like that message. That's his first intro in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, in, uh, later in Luke, we have uh, the story of a woman who was a sinner, uh, and she learns that Jesus is eating at the house of the Pharisees. So she comes in. You might know the story. She brings a jar of ointment, and she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, and she bathes his feet with her tears, and she dries them with her hair. And then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. And the Pharisee who invited Jesus saw this, and he says to himself, uh, if, this were, if this man were really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is and that she is a sinner. And the only thing that Jesus says to her, this sinner, this outsider, is you are forgiven. This is the only word to her. And then in Matthew 25, Jesus says, uh, he's telling a story, and he says, um, then he will say to those on his left hand, you, were, you that thought were accursed, depart from me. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. And then they will answer, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't take care of you? And then he says, truly I tell you, just as you didn't do this to the least of these, you didn't do it for me either. And then we've talked about this sermon, or we've talked about this story uh, in a previous uh, talk, Luke 10, the story of the Good Samaritan, which we pretty much are all culturally familiar with. And that story ends with Jesus asking this question. And he says, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the, ma the man that fell into the hands of the robbers? And the guy gets beat up and left on the side of the road. And Jesus says, um, the one who showed mercy, go and do likewise. The one that shows mercy, the Beatitudes, show mercy. Who is your neighbor, Jesus asked? It's the outsider, it's the Samaritan, it's the refugee. The one from the other country, the one that's not quite like us. Matthew uh, Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son, another story we've talked about here, it says, a few days later, the younger son, who asked for his inheritance, he goes off, travels to a distant country, but he squanders his entire savings that his dad gave him. He spent everything, but then a severe famine took place in that country, and he began to be in need. He was in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country, and they sent him to, to, to the field to feed pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. It's a part of the story that I think we gloss over sometimes because, you know, the ending of the story has some other meaning for us. But uh, I had a professor that had to stop the story here and concentrate 
on the fact that Jesus tells in this story that a refugee, an immigrant in, an, in another country was in need and no one gave him anything. Jesus' life is about blessing those who aren't given anything. And this is our calling too. I mean, we say here a lot, um, we end our benediction with live life to the fullest. And um, it's kind of a confusing, uh, you know, it's, 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 it sounds really nice, but it's not necessarily, I think it sometimes can become uh, the same meaning as the pursuit of happiness, right? Live life to the fullest, pursuit of happiness. But I don't want those two things to get confused. Uh, living life to the fullest is not the same thing as uh, pursue whatever you want, pursue your dreams, go out for it, you know. I mean, we kind of live with the Nike just do it motto, and that's fine, uh, but that really isn't the kingdom of God reality in which uh, our lives are called to go extend lo- radical love to the other. Um, theologian and um, psychoanalyst Peter Rollins, he, he talks about psychoanalysis to describe theological concepts, and he says this, and I think it's perfect for... Um, not the freedom to pursue happiness. Uh, And he says this, the freedom that I am interested in is not the freedom to pursue your highest ambition, but rather the freedom from the pursuit of your highest ambition. So you're not not free uh, to pursue whatever you want. You're free from having to pursue whatever you want. There's this release that comes when you don't have to perform to that highest ambition. He says, in this way, there are three separate states that, uh, not three separate states that we pass through, but rather one state manifests itself in a variety of ways. The point is not to be found uh, in a crude form of material, materialism that simply puts its hands in the air and says, okay, we proclaim to a life of suffering, but rather it's counterintuitive psychoanalytic insight uh, that the brokenness can be robbed of its sting through the very embrace of the brokenness. So then salvation thus resides in transforming how we position ourselves in relation to this. We can outline these in this way. We are broken and don't acknowledge it, so that's repressing or disavowing your brokenness. Uh, Then number two is we are broken and we do realize it. And then number three is we are broken and we affirm it. This doesn't mean we simply accept difficult things in our lives or that we resign ourselves to them. Rather, it means that we are freeing ourselves from the idea that something will finally bring us inner harmony in learning to work for small incremental changes. The idea is that there is some way of bringing wholeness and harmony into our lives. It's actually an ideology which acts against making real change here and now, thus rendering us more susceptible to those who promise that they have the diet, the drug, or the divinity that can make us perfect again. Does that make sense? So we are free from this pursuit to have, because we, we see this in religion all the time, right? Uh, religion can just be another fill-in for whatever is going to make you happy. So we don't want to say, okay, well then we'll just throw, instead of having, you know, uh, Sprite, we'll just throw Jesus in there and Jesus will make you happy. Uh, when we look at the Beatitudes, Jesus makes the pronouncement statements of happiness to sh- both instruct us to uh, where happiness already is and that we don't have to pursue this dream of one day, if we just do this, we'll finally be happy. Um, so, so if we think of it this way, uh, the Beatitudes aren't a BuzzFeed list of like eight things to make you happy in 2017. All right. um, and so I think some, I used to think of it in that kind of way, like, oh, blessed are this, blessed are this, blessed are that, and you kind of r- go through the number. Uh, but it just, they don't work that way. You know, Jesus 
spent his life teaching and displaying the upside-down reality of the kingdom of God. Happy are the people who are hopeless. It's his first statement. Happy are the people who are hopeless. Uh, Happy are people who grieve. I mean, if we really sit with that, that's pretty crazy, right? That's crazy talk. That, does not, that would not sell if you went into an bo- advertising boardroom and you're like, I think I have an idea. Happy are people who are hopeless. That'll sell. No, it probably wouldn't, really. Um, you know, we tend to operate, as much as we, we talk about this, we still tend to operate in the same framework. It's uh, the powerful that inherit the earth, um, while Jesus says, no, it's the meek who inherit the earth. Uh, you know, we, we tend to think of hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed are those who brag about, you know, how tremendous or great their life is. Uh, Jesus says, no, happy are the humble. Uh, blessed and lucky are those who make deals so they, they can advance in life, they can move up the corporate ladder. Uh, no, it's, it's happy are those who, who show mercy, who, who make peace. Uh, Jesus wants his disciples to know on the mountain that they are children of God and that they are free that they are free from the mechanisms of the world that define one's value, right? We are defined in so many ways in our life. And, G- and Jesus, the pronouncement he speaks on to the disciples and the pronouncement I think spoken on us today is that we are free from all of the different mechanisms that say, here's your value, here's your worth. And it's happy are the people who are hopeless. Happy are the people who are hopeless. Um, and this is why... Uh, happiness is found in the radical self-offering love of the other, the outsider. If, if happiness is found in that radical outpouring of love into the person who is deemed by the world to be the outsider, or even if that's ourself, uh, it can never be coerced. It can never be commercialized. That message can never be taken hostage because it's not really a very sexy message. Um, it's a pure-hearted love that most of the world would deem to be strange, to be outsider. Um, This is the upside-down call of God to us today. So this morning, may we stop our pursuit of happiness and realize that God has already spoken the blessing of happiness on us. Us who are mourning, us who are grieving, on us who are ridding ourselves of power, on us who are welcoming those who have, been, who have been abandoned, us, those who are trying to make peace in the workplace, us who are being harassed by institutions, us who are hopeless, us who are hungry and thirsty. Uh, may we realize that it's in the institutions, that it's in the wealth, uh, and it's not in the powerful that we find God. Rather, we must be like the disciples and come down from the mountain back into life Um, back into finding um, our purpose within that space. Um, So this morning, may we have the ears to hear and the wisdom to act and the strength to love. Let's pray.